This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to the morning break with Graham Stanley. It's Tuesday, the 17th of May, 2022. Today's guest is Pablo Ortega, a teacher and client relations officer. We'll be talking, among other things, about managing teachers working all night in the Philippines. How does it feel to work the night shift as a teacher? What does it require? How do you keep teachers motivated? Keep listening to find out. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to the morning break, everyone. My special guest today is Pablo Ortega from Argentina, who I first met when I visited Cebu in the Philippines. We both worked on a project where teachers taught English classes remotely from the Philippines to primary students in Uruguay. Because of the 11 hour time difference, the remote teachers in the Philippines worked all through the night to teach students during the day in Uruguay. Now, for most teachers, that would be difficult to say the least, but I can say I was pleasantly surprised when I visited to find uh, camaraderie second to none between the teachers who were lively and motivated and enjoying the experience. I only spent two weeks at the teaching centre there, but it was an unforgettable and unusual experience. Now, have you had an unusual experience as a teacher? If you're listening live, why not come and join me? To do so, please download the Podbean app onto your mobile, visit ttradio.org and click on Listen Live on the homepage. This should take you directly into the show. And there you can uh, talk to me and ask questions and post comments during the conversation. I'll be right back with Pablo after the Teacher Talk radio news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development Every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Stevewoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit stevewoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half term and join me for two days and receive up to 1,360 pounds in bursary terms and conditions apply find out more at stevewoods.co.uk if you're listening to this then we know we share one thing in common a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves that's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care we need people like you to help us achieve even more with us you'll be given all the resources and support you need offered a clear path to career progression and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers 
and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. According to a leaked document, senior officials at the Department of Education in England have warned that schools are in such a state of disrepair that they are a risk to life. Those officials who work for the Education Secretary, Nadeem Sahawi, have warned that the current pace of 50 school rebuilding projects per year needs to be raised to more than 300. A spokesperson for the Department of Education told the Mail Online, The safety of pupils and staff is paramount. We have one of the largest and most comprehensive estate condition data collection in Europe and this allows us to assess and manage risk in our buildings. We prioritise buildings where there is a risk to health and safety and have invested £11.3 billion since 2015 to improve the condition of school buildings over the next decade. In addition, our new school rebuilding programme will transform the learning environment at 500 schools over the next decade. Following a statement from the Vice-Chancellor of Cambridge University, which recently told private schools that they will need to accept that they will admit fewer students to Oxbridge in the future, Education Secretary Nadeem Sahawi has responded by saying that admissions should be based on merit and evidence. He said, I think it should be based on merit and evidence. The thing to do is deliver great outcomes for all children, wherever they live, and especially our most disadvantaged children. Which is why I am flexing the system towards those areas that have fewer great schools or good outstanding schools. You don't create a system that people feel is fair and equitable by in some way thinking that there is an easy fix. The best thing you can do is create schools in the state system that are as good as independent schools, which we are. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to talk about a couple of shortcuts and hacks that can make life a little easier. This may not be as innovative as some of my past life hacks for teachers, like drinking noodles, but here are a couple of things that may make a difference to your use of media in the classroom. First up, if you aren't already riding it, get on the Wakelet Wave. Wakelet is a free way to save, organise and share content create collections of web pages, videos and basically anything with a web address under one topic. Once done, you have a shareable link to your collection. Use it to organise your lesson, flip a lesson or create revision collections just to throw a few ideas out there. This next hack is one of my favourites. I love using YouTube to support learning. Not only can it help keep pace in a lesson, but also it's a great reference afterwards for pupils to refer to. My biggest gripe with it though is that pesky advert you can't skip that always decides to play when you're in full flow. Here's a secret that works nearly all of the time. When preparing your lesson, you will have watched the clip anyway to ensure it's appropriate. So just before you copy the link into your presentation or wakelet, type this on the end. And T equals one. That's the ampersand or the wiggly and lowercase t equals and the number one. Now copy the URL with and t equals one on the end and your clip will start one second in. Not missing any content but skipping the adverts at the start. No need to thank me. Show your gratitude with a follow on Twitter. Check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed, follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So thank you, Pablo, for agreeing to talk to me. Perhaps we can start by you just telling everyone who you are, where you're from, and your background. Sure. Thank you, Graham, for having me today. 
It's a pleasure, it's an honor. Uh, my name is Pablo, I'm, I'm an Argentinian. I was born uh, uh, here in Buenos Aires and I had the chance to uh, go to the Philippines when I was about 25 years old, working for this BPO industry. But after a few years of um, perhaps uh, chasing the same type of indicator, I decided to switch and to give something back to the community related to teaching. Uh, I had the opportunity to join British Council in, in the Philippines through a huge team of uh, remote teachers who, uh, well, they were from the Philippines, all of them teaching for this uh, English uh, teaching project towards uh, Uruguay, uh, but teaching from the Philippines always. Uh, of course, it was uh, the shift, well, they, they would follow a different schedule, it would be during the night and, and the Americas, it would be during the day. Um, but it was a, a moment uh, to, to learn, every day to learn something new. Uh, particularly myself, uh, I've been studying English since I was a kid, so, and, and working with, with, um, with English, uh, let's say, uh, people from the US um, continuously, so language was never a problem for me. So when you join a team that is uh, that talented, you learn every day, uh, not only how to teach, but particularly uh, different levels of practice. And well, the Filipinos have this uh, special charm, which is related to music, related to arts. Uh, they come up with something new every day and they, uh, they know how to deposit uh, all those skills into, the, into different levels of practices practice uh, into different ideas different strategies um and so pablo I, let, yes. let me just um interrupt you there so just to go back to what you were saying about the remote teaching that you were doing or that you were you were involved in in the philippines could you explain a little bit about a little bit more about that especially because what you were doing in the philippines was actually teaching during the night time to uh students in schools in public schools in uruguay uh during the day so the uruguayan day was the philippine nighttime because of the uh difference in time could you talk a little bit about that procedure of how that worked and 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 also how the teachers felt about teaching during the night how that was because that mustn't have been very easy at least to begin with it is an interesting point yes uh, well it is a country that particularly uh is we can say that it's used to different and different time uh, to work in different time zones because based on their uh, english skills they usually work with the us if you are industry teaching uh, and many other uh, sectors so particularly with teaching yes it was a bit uh, special let's just say a special situation where they had to sleep during the day and and we all have to join this operation like before midnight or let's say like at 10 p.m which would match the uruguayan time zone so uh maybe at the beginning it was a bit difficult because they would have to follow up a, a five-day schedule and then having like a three-day weekend let's say, because they will have to start uh, going back to business like on Monday afternoon, uh, we will have to. And of course, it, it was actually something to get used to. But let's say after one to two months, the team is really focused on, on knowing that that will be normal. The team learns how to take advantage of those three days uh, of resting that are not really three days, but maybe two days and a half. And yes, uh, if related to social, related to people who are ready to spend time with them during the weekend, everyone has to get used to it. But yes, I, I would say that maybe it takes uh, one month or two months to 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 realize that is your uh, your new normal. Let's say yes, it's quite quite an unusual way of um, of working. Of course, I think that very few teachers actually teach during the night like that. I, I visited, I had the opportunity to visit for two weeks and adopt this um, schedule as well, which I found fascinating. Your whole sort of body clock changes. So what would be breakfast becomes dinner and vice versa, et cetera, when, when you think about meals and stuff. And I always remember going out to, in inverted commas, lunch with the teachers in the middle of the night. And that was something that was very bizarre at the beginning um, when I first arrived. But... 
but actually by the by the time I was leaving, I, I was quite um, used to it, it, which is quite interesting how the, the your body clock adapts in that way. Do you think that most of the teachers who were teaching during the night actually when it comes to what would have been Saturday morning, they then stay awake all day on Saturday and try to sort of adjust for the weekend and then go back to working on Monday, as you said, because I thought that at least some of the teachers actually would have kept the same hours at the weekend, or was that not the case? Oh, definitely. That's another catch there. Yes. Um, it is very important that you decide to keep a system for the weekend. Yeah. Are you always going to sleep right away or are you always going to stay awake? Because you, you can really mess uh, your schedule up by not going to sleep right away or just doing it so, right? Uh, yes, well, I, I understand that some of the teachers uh, would go and sleep right away. If we would have the, we would leave like at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. So no, I'm not going to kill the Saturday by going to sleep right away, no. Uh, maybe I would just... Uh, take it all in and maybe go to sleep later early on Saturday night. Um, but I know that other people would just go and sleep, wake up like at noontime and enjoy the rest of the day like if it was a normal time zone. But then that's the catch. Then they have to go back to Monday and changing it again. So yes, it was quite bizarre. As you said, the, the noontime becomes, uh, I'm sorry, midnight becomes the, the lunchtime and they would use those times. I would say it's lunchtime now. And, it was no it's not but, but uh, um, i suppose yes. i i know that that kind of helped all of the teachers become sort of accustomed to addressing the primary learners that they were teaching in uruguay in a way that they were used to adopting the uruguayan clock when they were teaching so you know refer to morning as morning and not evening or night that would which would have really confused the students wouldn't it exactly and well, that is thanks. Well, I was working for this uh, amazing professional. Uh, uh, his name is Leith. And from the beginning, he got us used to those terms. Now it's lunchtime. Uh, when we finish, now is the afternoon. And we were like living in the Uruguayan time zone, at least um, after every lesson, right? After every yeah. lesson, we knew it, it's 3 p.m. It was actually 2 a.m., right? But we were following that different time zone to make it easier. And uh, yeah, lunchtime was one of those things. Training time at lunchtime and everyone was really aligned and everyone was really focused on that time zone. Yes, definitely makes it easier. And I, I suppose as well, going back to what you were saying about uh, yourself and a lot of the other teachers who were sort of changing their timetable at the weekends um, to have a sort of, to appreciate the day more especially if they wanted to spend time with family or friends, then that was important, isn't it? Definitely, yes. And, and another thing is that you get used to your team because well, it's, it's a nine-hour uh, kind of work, like a schedule, like you, you join this group of people and you get used to them and you become friends with, right? Particularly if you're a foreigner because you look for people to hang up with because you live to work, right? You, you, your life is about working every day. And with the exception of the weekend, maybe that you see other people, but those are the people that you see every day, just like in Argentina here. So it's very easy to come up with friendship, um, to come up with uh, uh, moments of hanging out with these people at the end of the ship. Maybe at the end of every working day, you don't really uh, stay around because it's actually late and you have to go home and you have to try to have a, a normal life uh, for a few hours. But um, on Fridays, maybe it was a time to stay around with the team, right? But then again, if you stay up and, and I don't know, go and, I don't know, eat something with them after the working time, uh, then Saturday comes in, right? And yeah. then you have to start thinking about how you're going to handle the rest of the weekend. Yeah, of course. I think what the other thing that's really interesting about this is, again, when, when I visited, I noticed that there was a real team spirit among the teachers, a real sort of collective feeling that uh, they were um, all together and supporting each other. And as you said, sort of going out to eat together and spending time in the breaks together. And, and, and do you think that was helped by them working at night or is it just a, a teacher thing? That's a good question. I would say um, the, the team, um, the Filipinos, I would say they're very happy on everything that they do. And, and they, um, 
they make a joke about everything all the time and it's very fun to work with them and if you're a foreigner many countries might have different situations about how to deal with foreigners at work particularly myself and i feel that i can speak for many of my friends living in the philippines i've always felt welcome right away they make you feel part of the team they might speak in their own language, but they try to help you in, bring you in what they're saying and to make you understand. And yes, now I would say that they, given the fact that it was a special time zone situation, they help themselves to bring a bit of a cup of coffee coming up when they have a chance uh, and just to, to keep themselves awake. Uh, they handle it in a very fam- uh, family way, let's say. They, I have seen them helping themselves to, 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 to stay awake because it, it happens, you know, but you're a human being. Sometimes it's a day that you're really tired. Uh, it comes a day that you're really tired and, and, and you're fighting your sleep, right? Because it, it might be uh, something you, you haven't got used to. Maybe after doing the first days of, of this new job that you take, the first month can be very, very difficult. So, you know, the Filipinos have that. They, 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 they have this fun spirit and yes i have seen them helping each other to, to stay awake and to do whatever whatever they had to do to to carry on with the day yes the other thing i i thought was really um great to see is that as you said sometimes at the end of the week um the teachers would go out for a meal together but another times they would go and sing karaoke and that was yes. quite a bonding experience can you talk Elemental. a little bit more about that <laughs> Well, you, you have to know, it, it doesn't really matter if you don't, you can't sing well. They, they will make you feel that you do. And but what singing is actually uh, very unique in that country because um, it doesn't really matter who is singing, what they're singing. Uh, they will they will cheer you up. They will, uh, of course, insist that you sing. Um, it doesn't really matter if you're a coordinator, if you're a teacher, if you're a manager, you're part of the team, right? But as you go around in the Philippines, as you walk on the street, you will hear people singing different ages, 60-year-old person, 10-year-old person. uh, They're just sitting there in a a corner with a microphone and no one is laughing. No one is criticizing. No one is uh, having comments about it because it's normal. So uh, I would say going out for video with with the team, it is as, uh, um, yeah, it can be kind of a team building uh, a continuous team building, a weekly one, I would say. There is that opportunity of going out and, and chatting about the working day or about the working week or about personal matters. Um, but the singing put together as a team, the 20 people in that room sitting and, and sharing that moment together, it is a bonding experience. At that point, you see uh, every one of your coworkers, I don't know, leaving the, the working personality out for a minute just to, to let go, just to relax, to laugh if they're not singing well, to be uh, praised if they're doing a good job, right? Um, so yes, it, it can work as a Friday night a bonding experience. Every time it would, it would. At the end of every week, um, uh, we would insist on going out and actually spending that time together. Because again, when you're working, yes, you're spending time together, but you're working. It's not the same, right? And when you finish with the day, it's about to go back to your life. So Friday night, it was the moment, the weekly moment of having that bonding experience. Great. What about education in general in the Philippines, Pablo? Do you, do you know much about that? I mean, can you talk a little more about that what you've noticed through your time there and and through knowing the people uh, etc how does education in general differ from argentina for example or uh, what's special about education schools in the philippines well uh the philippines has a huge pride for this a public university called um up which is a public university and that is the uh I would say that the destination for many of the students who want to take this public way of a path, studying, becoming a, a following up with, with, with a bachelor's degree, becoming a whatever they want to to become in life in a public way, and it's a, a university where I don't I don't know how many years, but they are the pride, the public pride in terms of education for that country. But putting that aside, I would say that they have this. Um, the Filipinos have this way of thinking that private at least in education, will always serve better. Because in every way, uh, if it's a hotel business, if it's uh, medicine, if it's um, even teaching, it always looks to, to towards Europe and towards the US. And 
private sector is the way to carry on with your goals or, or achieve your goals uh, easier and and always following on those uh, on, on those sectors I'm talking about medicine teaching uh, hotel business and and business management of course and I would say that that's a bit different to 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 Argentina perhaps because even though that we have a lot of flaws in in the public sector I would say that uh, it is always an option to, to send your kid to a public school uh, to study in, in a public university there are many options so yes that was a bit different that was a bit different uh in teaching particularly i have i had the chance to attend a, an english lesson a math lesson in, in different public schools in, in cebu the province that i was living at and i was working at and yes that, that it was a bit difficult because um, maybe uh, schools can do as much as they can with the resources that they get while well, it was was private sector was a bit different. Uh, it was very uh, systematic. There were subjects very clear. Uh, schedules were clear. There was a lot of uh, there were resources uh, in terms of uh, uh, let's say computers to use. Um, they were very digitalized. Um, they were ready to to let's say the new digital era. Um, the public schools were not. Uh, I would say, at least in Cebu, I haven't seen the ones in Manila and other sectors, in other uh, regions in the Philippines. Yes. Okay. Thanks. And and what about teaching as a profession in in the Philippines? Is is that something you've seen that is is it a popular profession uh, for for younger people to choose, or is it something that they would enter temporarily? What do you think? I think it would be a temporary option. Yes. Um, I think if it was related to the private sector, it is a good opportunity. Yes. But particularly for, um, I would say, um, schools with these huge compounds, uh, with, you know, a lot of, um, as I would say, many resources directed to education, I would say it's a good opportunity for many teachers, particularly foreigners. I saw a lot of uh, foreigner teachers, uh, not only teaching languages, also many other subjects. But yes, in a public sector, I would say it's only temporary. And for this case, um, for well, for the project that we were working at, uh, for the, the, the teachers decided to join in, in, I would say at the beginning, a temporary way, but it was such a fun and huge team. It was so easy to work with that they would just stay. They decided to stay. I would say a level of attrition. Yeah, maybe I saw maybe a 5%, 10% rotation attrition in two years, right? So yes, I would say that may, even if it was temporary, they decided to stay because it was actually fun to work there. And turning now to remote teaching in general, you have had experience of working in two countries where remote teaching has been very um, significant in your professional career. What, what do you think about remote teaching and and what kind of future do you think it has? I know that it is something that has become pronounced because of the pandemic, of course. In Outside of the pandemic, what do you think the future of remote teaching is? Uh, I think uh, it might be redundant, but I think uh, in many different ways, we have changed as a society. We have gotten used to do things differently. There was a lot of uh, limitations about, there were limitations about students actually being able to get to school, uh, in any country, but in the public sector, it is a huge deal for a student to to ride a horse, to walk, uh, I don't know how many kilometers to reach a school. And yes, that's when you saw that all the limitations would come up. Like if they're at home, no one is actually, maybe it's a family with, with many kids and it's very hard to control, to pay attention to what one student is actually doing. Uh, so yeah, new challenges come up. But at the same time, if, if you have the opportunity to come up with this level of operation and teaching overseas, teaching from everywhere, um, it has solved a lot of problems in terms of the teacher being able to actually get to, uh, to the place uh, to, to, if it was a, a teacher actually living there, yes, of course, maybe that's easy, but that's also a, a challenge for a teacher to actually get to school then the teacher has, to, if they have two jobs, they have to go to the other school, afternoon time, I'm always speaking about the public sector, right? Maybe in the private sector, it's easier because maybe the teacher stays a whole day in one place. But if they have two jobs, it's actually a challenge to switch from one school to the other. 
this has been the solution, has become the solution. I would say that, yes, it might be challenging with groups of many students, like 20 to 30 students, it has become a challenge. But at the same time, I can say that with someone around with them, uh, it is very, it is possible. Um, and I would say that even students have gotten used to this. And I see a future which, where students um, will only want this way, this method, this mode. Uh, yes, of course, bonding and being with a group of kids next to you is important, as in public schools with groups of 30 students uh, and 20 students and stuff. And yes, during the pandemic, kids, they missed uh, being with their friends, being with their, couple, uh, with their uh, partners, with their uh, co-workers, I would say, uh, with their peers. But it was also a, a learning experience for them to know that they could do it from home, from a computer, and that's all they needed. I have seen even uh, different levels of performance of uh, students actually submitting what they had to submit by themselves with, with anyone's help, uh, without anyone's help. Maybe at the beginning, you would just show them how to do it. And it was quite easier. And when you would show them, particularly how long you would take to submit the homework, how long did I take? Uh, one minute or one minute teacher. Okay, well, that's how much, that's how long it would take. And that's how long they would take later. They would get used to this. So it is about putting a lot of effort into teaching them how to join this new uh, circle, this uh, new process. But I have seen, um, I have seen that it is possible to only depend on this, at least on a hybrid mode, maybe twice uh, a week going to school and the rest of the time actually, uh, teaching from from maybe from your work from from home i don't know from a different place um, yes I, I would say that it will solve many things that they were complications uh, they were complicated before even public transport in some countries can become a problem um, particularly in argentina we have a great public transportation system but sometimes it, when it's a peak time at 7 a.m 8 a.m it, it, it is not easy to get to your working place it can become a bit uh, tricky, but, but there are people waiting for you on the other side, uh, ready to take your, to to uh, to receive your phone call and to to learn with you. So that is a level of pressure that um, you cannot really solve by just uh, I don't know uh, choosing another way of transportation, choosing a a different way to get there. Um, at some point, is really not a a possibility anymore because you already uh, took one, so you're stuck there, right? But you know that they're waiting on the other side. Working from home, from home solves that um, in terms of uh, being there at the time that they need. And guess what? Um, you can come up with a lot of resources. You can come up with uh, uh, boards. We can come up with toys, uh, different ages, different needs, of course. Uh, yes, there, there are really no limits for, for remote teaching, I would say. And, and how about the actual teaching? You, you have taught uh, remotely yourself. You have managed teachers teaching remotely. You have observed teachers teaching remotely. What, what tips can you give to teachers who are either starting to teach remotely or for them to get better? What have you noticed that teachers can do that would make a really big difference to their teaching? That's a great question. Um, the first week is chaos because they give you this uh, equipment and they teach you how to use it. So you have to press this button and you have to use this mouse and this is a whiteboard and this is a marker. Right, that's easy, right? Easy to understand. But then when you join the call and you have 30 people that are waiting and looking at you, that is a different situation. If you feel for, if you um, suffer, uh, what's the term? Um, uh, uh, fear to public speaking, even worse, right? Because you are the host there, you're hosting them. So they're expecting for you to, to, to lead the whole thing. So it's easy to start speaking maybe for some people, but then remember, there has to be some level of synergy between uh, leading the, the, the class, uh, the lesson, uh, leading them all, but at the same time, your hands have to act by themselves on the side with the mouse, with the keyboard, paying attention to the software. That whole thing becomes some kind of a chaos that for two days, you, 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 you might be suffering for it a lot. Um, after that, you get used to it. Uh, the, the, the way to get used to it is to remember that I would say one hand is to be used with the software 
and the other hand is to be used with a keyboard, uh, sorry, with a mouse. The other hand is to be used with a keyboard. You have to be focused on the screen. It is nice to have your view of, um, of your camera so you can see your emotions, you can see yourself. Uh, working for call centers, it was very important to suggest, uh, it was a good idea to always suggest having a mirror in front of you. So when you were speaking to, I don't know, a client or someone, it was nice to see uh, how you were reacting, your emotions, because your emotions were coming out of your voice at the same time. We teachers find ourselves following a path, following a lesson plan sometimes, speaking, 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 that affects time, um, teaching, talking time, of course, it affects many things. But at the same time, we might be a bit um, automatic and we don't really realize because we're just trying to reach the end of the lesson. So it's important to see how you see yourself, how they see you. Um, at the same time, when you see that you're not being too friendly, be a bit more friendly, smile more. And that's something that you can only see when you see yourself, right? I would say that, yes, remember that you're in control. If you're going too fast, just stop, make a joke, laugh with them, go back to, go down to earth again, start again, open your presentation again and move on. And when things are out of control, ask for help from someone from the other side. If, if they're, of course, kids, if they're growing up, if they're different ages, that won't be a problem. But when they're kids, um, yes, bring them down to earth again with some kind of a joke, join whatever they're doing, ask them about, about their lives, ask them about if we're speaking about sports, ask them about football. Of course, they want to speak about their favorite team. Remember that if you speak too much about their favorite team, they will start speaking about it and, and the, the whole lesson will be chaotic. So remember your limitations. Uh, don't ever tell them what, what uh, football team you, you like because you will make some enemies <laughs> at some sector in, in some countries at least. Uh, basketball or football, right? Yes, I would say learn how to uh, organize yourself in terms of one hand for one thing, the other hand for the other. Always pay attention to your camera. Look at them. Remember that they want uh, you to join their world. Mm -hmm. uh, remember that if you're someone from, from outside, uh, an external, um, let's say a foreigner, for example, if you don't belong to their community, to their country, um, they have no idea. And if they do, they think of you, if, you're, if they're kids, I'm speaking about young learners, they want you to be part of the world. So if you're just someone that is only teaching, teaching and speaking and just wanting to finish with the lesson, they won't have that. So after a few lessons, you will start losing them. Uh, so it's important to maybe uh, write down their names. So not to remember the 30 names or the 20 names, but just to remember some of them, at least to make some contact, to remember about they like, about what they like. They will appreciate that. They will join your world that way, right? They will just stay connected with you that way. And then it becomes really easy. Um, I have I've been working with great professionals and they always remind me that there's always a way to, to cover every lesson of the stage, every um, lesson stage for every lesson, even if it's a shorter lesson or a longer lesson. If we have a production of five minutes and we have to nominate uh, five groups of students and we're running out of time because something else came up, try with uh, three couples, uh, with three pairs of students, not five. But there's always a way to reach every uh, to cover every lesson stage. If there's a metacognition practice at the end, instead of make, asking three questions, ask one of them. You know, but there's always a way to carry on with opening, presenting vocab, reaching production, control practice, free practice, um, metacognition. That would I would say it's it's actually essential nowadays to for for you to understand that they have that they got it that they learn something, for them to see that they have learned, for them to leave the lesson knowing that they have made some progress. Well, I have learned this today. Now I can say this, I can say that. They joke about that, but that, that, that's important. They leave with that and closing, of course, homework and closing. Um, and be there for them at least more than once a week, because once a week at least for language, I don't, I don't, think, it, I don't think it's enough. Even for us in our age, I don't think starting anything once a week really stays in, in your head. It won't, and, and that is how you achieve that through homework. 
through homework, you uh, make sure that you're there for them at least a second time so they can read you, so they can hear you, so they can receive your feedback, and then it becomes routine, right? But yeah, just to answer your question, maybe I, 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 I lost it a bit at some point, but yes, at the beginning, just remember that this chaos will go away after a few hours and uh, you just know how to uh, time yourself up in terms of um, using your resources with, with a with total peace. Remember that they want you to lead them, it's not the other way around. And um, yes, after a few days, it, it becomes normal. It becomes a routine, a system that you will manage. Thank you. Some very good advice there, Pablo. You touched right at the beginning when you were talking about that, you touched upon something which I want to pick up now, which was um, you have you have experience working in call centers as well. And it, it made me think um, because of the kind of remote teaching that uh, was being done on this project that we both worked on, um, the space needs are very different, aren't they? When you're remote teaching in this way, you don't need the kind of large classrooms that you typically find in a school or even in an academy, a language academy, for example. It's like what you need is a is small sort of cubicle type rooms for the teachers to be in and then a common area for the teachers to to be able to spend time in together as well, a teacher's room, et cetera, a training room, et cetera. How, how has your experience of that been? Because you've had, again, two kind of experiences of purpose built spaces for remote teaching one in the philippines and the other in argentina and buenos aires did you reflect a little bit upon what you've learned about the kind of space that is needed for this type of teaching yes um that is quite interesting at the beginning when you see your working space since you're a teacher and and maybe the um in both places i would say um I remember the teachers from the Philippines seeing their working place for the first time. And they could, I could remember that the first reaction might have been that it was too small, that it was uh, just a cubicle and that I have no, no, no space to actually uh, stretch myself. And, and they can be so jolly and they can dance and, and jump a lot, that even more to the point, right? Um, yes, I would say that that was the first reaction. At, um, as days went by, um, I saw them getting used to the fact that everything they needed was the board and the laptop, and space was becoming a bit more relevant. Yes, they needed time to at least stretch their hands in the way that they can just, you know, feel themselves that free. But um, your hands are always on your desk or on your board. And there was another interesting point in the Philippines, people will stand up to teach. And that's why you lose a lot of weight every day because you were always standing. <laughs> when, when after a few years, I, I don't think, uh, well, speaking about kilos, I, I can't calculate that in pounds, but I think I have lost 10 kilos because we were always standing. Then when joining to Argentina, when joining the Argentinian team, everyone's sitting down. And I have been telling them, uh, well, my Argentinian team about, uh, about the Filipinos teaching always standing and they couldn't believe it. How can you, how can you stand for hours teaching you get used to it. You could, you know, of course, he had a chair to sit down, but they were rather standing because uh, I would say that some uh, practices would work better. Like uh, it, it was more dynamic, right? Uh, moving, standing, dancing, um, yeah. representing animals. Yes. So that, those were two different uh, uh, things, different ways for them to see them. But I would say in terms of space, yes, that's your first reaction. If you're working from a, from a, uh, teaching station that is a cubicle it feels like a call center in terms of the space and let's let's admit it both industries have something in common in terms of outsourcing in terms of getting there for a customer or for a student digitally right you're some other place but you're getting there for them so maybe um, well in terms of uh, revenue it might be a bit different because we're not here just to in this industry, not to not only to build, because we, we want to see something at the end of the day, we want to see some progress on people. And, and I feel that that's why we do what we do. But um, in terms of space, yeah, it does look like a bit of an outsourcing BPO business, um, where you can see yourself uh, maybe secluded a bit to one space. Again, after a few days, uh, you realize that maybe the tools are the only important thing here. 
and uh, you get used to it. You get used to that space, I would say. What do you think is the ideal as far as a common space for teachers in that type of teaching center? It's a good question. I don't think space is, well, maybe because we have gotten used to this for years. Um, I don't think a lot of space is really that important in terms of achieving your lesson goal. Uh, the ideal space for a teacher is, as I think, being able to stand up, to sit down, walking around a bit, maybe five steps our way, maybe five steps the other way, maybe being able to disappear um, and then come up again on camera, you know, as some kind of a fun practice um, and actually being able to show a whiteboard enough space to show your whiteboard while you're standing. So, and, and I, would, I would say that would be a very uh, productive uh, experience. It would be a very uh, fun experience at the same time because they can see you, for example, if you're teaching clothes, uh, you use yourself as an example. So what is teacher Paolo wearing? And you cannot just completely show yourself, right? You cannot just show your, 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 your dressing pants, your shoes, because of this uh, method, I would say that being able to teach, uh, being able to show at least uh, that amount of space might be convenient. But uh, I would say that we have gotten used to this level of space. If we are teaching from home, uh, we're not even considering that, of course, because uh, maybe our home is not really equipped or ready to, in terms of space, to show your house, to show your, the place you're working at. So yes, I would say, uh, a whole body um, experience, uh, maybe just enough space for you to show your whole body, or maybe just being able to reach your arms in these directions and, uh, and, and actually have enough space to do that, that would be ideal. I would say that that would be a solution. Great, and just one last question related to whiteboards, because I know that there are sort of two ways of using a whiteboard if you're teaching remotely. One is having a digital whiteboard, which is on, on the screen, um, you know, using whatever tools digitally, or the other one is actually having a physical whiteboard as you would in a physical classroom and display it on the, using the camera, et cetera. What do you think is the, the best, which is the best of those two or are there pros and cons of both? Well, I, I believe that for, for, let's say from the 80s uh, to the 90s, um, teachers have gotten used to use whiteboards in a way that is the only graphical way they can just show uh, whatever they're teaching. And then they had to switch to digital. And I'm sure it must, must have been a challenge, uh, not for the people maybe who were born in the 80s and 90s who have gotten used to, to, to digital uh, methods right away. Um, and then maybe we had to use both, right? For the second group of people, that that might have, I don't think it was a challenge um, because digital is always easier, right? Whilst for other people, they need to write. They're very, um, I would say, uh, maybe I can, the, the word that comes to my mind, that the best way they can actually do it is by physically writing, physically showing, uh, creating something in paper, completely, um, I would say visual, but always bring coming up with uh, physical tools to do so. While we got used to uh, digital and in time, some of us have realized that it's even easier and we don't need that anymore. For example, with tools like, um, I don't know, PowerPoint, Active Inspire, uh, PowerPoint cannot be modified as you're showing it, but maybe another software, you can actually edit as, as you're teaching. And that is a lot easier. And that is your whiteboard right there because you're just creating, you're just modifying, you're uh, coming up with new ideas as you go. If you wrote something, uh, because you can make a mistake while you're teaching, you can edit and you can correct yourself. Right away, you can stop showing. The whiteboard cannot be, cannot be uh, turned off uh, all of a sudden, right? So of course, there are a lot of conveniences that um, I think teachers, um, should get used to and and maybe people who have gotten used maybe a few years or decades before to only using the whiteboard they should uh, give a chance to actually switch into digital because it has solutions like the one i said that that, that they're really effective and there are some things that we wanted to show as teachers before with a whiteboard that now that we couldn't we cannot just come up with any graphical idea that comes to our minds and with digital resources we can, we can just come up with, at least if it's not uh, copyrighted, we can, um, 
we can come up with everything, with anything that we can think of in terms of actually being productive and, and giving the, the kids a better learning experience, right? There are new tools every day. So we just have to be ready to catch the new one. And, and that keeps coming. That There are no limits for that. Great. Thank you very much, Pablo, for uh, joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking to you about all of this and reacquainting myself with you again and uh, the project that we both worked on. So I really appreciate it. It's been great to see you again, again, Graham. Thank you very much for this opportunity. It's uh, It was a great pleasure talking to Pablo there. Um, I keep thinking about my experience of working uh, at night when I was there. Um, I was only there for two weeks, um, but it was quite illuminating for me. I think the most difficult thing was definitely the change to your body clock. I stayed in a hotel and I remember getting back in the morning that first day that I worked all night and I spent the time observing teachers and talking to them and and just getting used to uh, understanding how things worked basically and when I got back to that hotel the first decision was definitely what do I do do I go straight to bed to sleep I was very very tired or do I wait 30 minutes when they started serving breakfast and have something to eat before sleeping it's always not a good idea to sleep on a on a full stomach though if I waited 30 minutes, that particular time was the most difficult time uh, that I had uh, keeping awake. And then if I went to sleep, I'd have to get up before 11.30, I think, or I'd miss breakfast. So I found it was better for me to sleep and then get up and have breakfast. Uh, it certainly made me sleep better, basically, I think. And then it was interesting in the hotel because Cebu in the Philippines has a kind of atmosphere that caters for 24 hour lifestyle with lots of night work and call centers, etc. And so what you could eat at the hotel at any time during the day or night uh, when it when the restaurant was open was either breakfast or lunch or dinner or combination of both. And after the after a couple of days, I started getting used to it. At the teaching center, you used to go in at night, and the teachers would then be getting ready for the Uruguayan morning. And then at the Uruguayan lunchtime, the teachers used to have a bite to eat. Lunchtime, though, for them would be a late night supper, if you like. Again, there were places around the school uh, that were open uh, to eat all night, fast food or local food places and some teachers would bring something in from home etc then before the start of the uruguayan afternoon shift at the schools there would be usually a quick meeting to brief the teachers on what was happening and then a training session and this training session was if you like a lot of it was micro teaching teachers took turns to prepare materials and showcase them for other teachers getting feedback there's a real feeling of supporting each other that was very impressive there. Uh, sometimes the organization they were working for, they would order pizzas. Um, on a Friday, usually, they would have a pizza party. And the teachers there, as Pablo was talking about, were also very musical. They were always singing. They were singing the kids' songs that they were using in class, but also um, their own songs or pop songs that they were interested in and occasionally they'd give performances at lunch times of some of the songs which was uh which was fabulous i think this would often coincide with people visiting and i remember they prepared a special song for me when i first arrived which was very touching and fridays um typically after work they would be as uh, as we talked about karaoke video which is karaoke with video of course and that was early in the morning or people would go out for a drink and a meal sometimes or just go home depending on the um the day and what was happening 
for their weekends. Remember, my last Friday, I shared a few drinks with Pablo and Leith, uh, who was working with Pablo uh, in the management team. And we were sitting there as the sun rose early in the morning. That was quite a special moment. And I do remember in Uruguay, the people managing the project who, um, well, they they often wondered if this type of teaching was, was difficult, whether it was um, okay. They were concerned about the teachers. And that's one of the reasons for the visits, basically. Anyone who went there, though, ended up being very happy that it wasn't an issue. In fact, the teachers were the least... Um, troublesome aspect of of the whole project really i think from from that point of view in fact you know the turnover of the staff in the philippines was very low at that organization the teachers were very happy or seemed to be basically most of the time what about you have you had any unusual experiences teaching i can see there are a few people listening live if you want to come in and talk to me about your own experience that would be great uh, just indicate you'd like to do so um, and i'll bring you in otherwise for the last few minutes i have other things i can talk about about my own experience as working as an english teacher and director of summer schools um, for learners of english for example i remember one uh, experience that I did over a number of years teaching at a summer school in Catalonia and this was a quite isolated summer school it was about 20 minutes walk or a short hitchhike to uh, the local village and I remember the social life revolved around walking to a local monastery or around in the countryside or there was a single bar um, that catered to the school and to holiday cottages in the area. And a swimming pool, which teachers and others used in the afternoons and evenings. And I remember the other thing we used to do was hang out on the roof and watch sunset, which was most incredible, most incredible sunsets there. And then impromptu sing-alongs. I think because we were all living in and the students were too, this enabled us to bond with the other teachers some of them brought guitars it was a great time i think and the students while well, we taught the students in the mornings and part of the afternoon and helped with sports or arts and crafts but there were monitors who did most of that who looked after the students principally in the afternoons and they didn't work in the mornings where the teachers had most of the afternoons off apart from for example, one hour helping the students to learn a song. Now, I worked there a few years, and each, year's, each year there'd be a different song to learn, to perform to the students' parents on Parents' Day after the, the two-week course, for example. They used to be, there were usually a two-week course, two, three-week courses. And I remember Circle of Life being one of the songs that we had to teach the students. But the one that I remember most, because I worked there, one year for several different sessions and ended up basically every single day of the year singing with students and trying to get them to learn it was the wet 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 song love is all around i think is the name of it i listen to that song so much that i cannot bear to hear it again which uh that was the only negative experience of that time working for that summer school well I think I'm going to draw things to an end now. Uh, thank you very much for listening uh, in live or listening to the recording. That brings us to the end of today's show. A uh, very special thank you to my guest, Pablo Ortega, for his time and for sharing his experience teaching through the night in the Philippines. Remember, there are teacher talk radio shows all week the next show will be the twilight show i think with lucy noberger at 5 p.m british summertime and next week i think i will have to take a break uh because i'll be in london for the education world forum but then you can join me again the week after at the same time bye for now 
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.